You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writers' Centre at writerscentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 124 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm all right, I think. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it takes me some time to think of, to consider that question. Okay. Um, no, I, I'm okay. That's I, uh, good. I've survived book week. I have in, in both, as both a parent and an author, and I'm sure there's many parents out there that will agree with me that surviving book week, getting the costume right can be just as difficult oh. as actually getting up and talking to 100 kids. I've been seeing all the Facebook pictures of all the costumes. Oh, look, you know, I have to say as an author, mm. the costumes rock. Because, you know, <laughs> I've had, you know, Quinn's Instagrammed at me and there was an Ash. She was looking oh. fabulous in her outfit. You know, she was all yeah. dressed up as a as a, a girl masquerading as a boy, which was awesome. Um, so, you know, really from an author perspective, you know, yay parents. Yeah. But, but I have to say, so I went to my son's book week parade and so my older son, Mr. 12, mm. a.k.a. book boy, is, is ma- as you can imagine, like right into book week. Like he would plan his outfit weeks in advance oh. and we had to have every detail right, right down to the that's not the right, you know, whatever. Yeah. So my other son, who tells me he's just not that kind of guy, is <laughs> um, a reader but he's not, you know, mad about mm. it. So I said to him, I think Monday night, um, what will you be going as? And he said, well, I thought about wearing my soccer uniform. And oh. I was like, well, I think we can probably go a little bit beyond that. He goes, oh, all right, mum, bring out the cloak. What are we going to be? <laughs> <laughs> so he ended up in the random cloak outfit as uh, Will from the Rangers Apprentice. But, oh. yeah, he just wasn't into it. But then we get there yes. and, like, some mums, I've got yes. to say, are amazing. So right. we get to the parade and there's a kid and he's dressed as Charlie. Uh, sorry, Willy Wonka. Oh, yes. From Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, my. He's got the striped suit on. Oh, like wow. Like mini version of striped suit. And he is carrying over his head a glass elevator. Oh. <laughs> she, she has created the frame and then she has put the plastic over it and he is walking around in a glass elevator. I'm, I'm, I mean, honestly, I was like, give that mum a prize. Oh. But then it got better because then the little brother appeared and the little brother's in about grade two. So... Um, Willie was in grade five and the little brother's in about grade two and he is dressed as a golden ticket. Oh, no! And so he got inside the glass elevator with his brother and they paraded up onto the stage and we all, you know, the crowd were wild. Like some mums, I I take my hat off, they're amazing. I and bring out the cloak, they (laughs) are, let's create a glass elevator. Oh, my God, how does one even create a glass elevator? That's incredible. Well, I was a little bit worried because it was covered in plastic and they were both sitting in it together for quite some time and I was concerned that there was going to be asphyxiation, but they (laughs) they seemed to survive. (laughs) 
Oh my god! It was a big effort. It was yes, a big effort. that yeah, is I, a big effort. Yeah. Was there even book week when we were at school? I don't even remember. Oh yeah, no, we had book week. Yeah, Did we? I think we've talked about this before. My mother always gets most offended when we discuss book week because I like to remember the time she sent me as a uni student. So what? at least at least my boys had a cloak. She put me in an orange skivvy and a pair of brown cords. Oh. And a pair of glasses with a book under my arm. And oh, my God. Seriously. Yeah. I was an academic. <laughs> yep. And she can't understand why I, you know, not, I wasn't an, let's just say I wasn't enamoured of that particular no. outfit. No. I don't even remember Book Week. Don't you? Yeah, Maybe no, we had, we had various versions of it. It's, uh, I don't think it was as big. As no. it is now. And you know what? I think it's amazing. I think that the book week promotions are so great for mm. literacy in schools. And they usually have a book fair, you know, so people buy books for the um, for the library and everyone's talking about books. And I think, you know, that, you can, that can only be a, a good thing. Yeah, um, brilliant. Just from the parenting perspective, it can sometimes be somewhat traumatic. I think next year, you know, Mr Nine can just go in his soccer outfit and we'll call him Tiny Timmy and that'll be done. <laughs> It'll be done. Awesome. All right. So now book week shenanigans, shenanigans are over. What are you up to? Well, I've got some editing to do. I'm waiting for some more edits on a, a new project that I've been working on. So that's coming my way any minute now. Um, and that's, yeah, that will be, that will probably take me through until NaNoWriMo, Ooh. in which case I'll be, you know, cranking up, write a book with Al again and we'll be So you'll be doing NaNoWriMo? Yeah. So for those um, people who are new to the writing world or have only recently discovered the writing world, NaNoWriMo is National Novel Writing Month and it's in November. So it's mm, coming up mm. and uh, the aim of NaNoWriMo is that people from all over the world participate and you have a chance to win. Now, the word win doesn't mean you actually win like a prize or whatever. The aim is to write how many thousand words, Al? 50,000 words in 30 days. 50,000 words in 30 days, which means that's 1,667 words per day. And mm. if you achieve your 50,000 words in the month of November, then you win, right? You do. And I there's, think there's a T-shirt. <laughs> there's a T-shirt. I believe there's a T-shirt. Yeah. And the great part of it is that thousands, tens of, or tens of thousands of people from all over the world. Millions. millions I'm sure there's millions involved. Possibly, yes. Possibly even millions, <laughs> yes. Are all doing it. It, it, at the same time. So it's mm. like a mega writer book with Al, isn't mm, it? Massive. Which has also been very successful. So it's great because you know that all of these other people are doing it as well. And mm. there's great support groups where you can post your word count for the day and you can also cheer each other on. So if you're well, thinking, And you can do physical write-ins as well. Like yes. All, you know, in, in most of the metropolitan centres, they will have days where you can actually go and meet up with other people and you all sit there and write together. Yes. Which, you know, sounds like my idea of hell, but whatever. Um. <laughs> but, yeah, there are actual write-ins. So people um, – or they won't do it every day. They might do it, say, every Friday or something. Yeah, once like a week, yeah. For yeah. the month of November, bring all their yeah. cupcakes and honey joys and melting moments and stuff like that. And Look at you dreaming of the food rather than the words. Because <laughs> I've actually been at them. <laughs> and that was, That's the kind of food that was brought. Honey joys. Wow, well, I haven't had honey joy in a long time. <laughs> They're nice though, aren't they? And chocolate crackers. You can crackles. make chocolate crackles. This year, yes. so now a chef of chocolate <laughs> Now a chef. Yes. So, um, where was I? I don't just know. got distracted I just, I know, by the crackles. honey joys. Um, maybe we should have a writing just so I can eat all that food. Anyway. <laughs> 
yes. So if you are thinking of doing a bit of a sprint, then National Novel Writing Month, otherwise known as NaNoWriMo, is a great opportunity to do that. But I will also encourage you to follow the hashtag Write a Book with Al when Al starts that in uh, NaNoWriMo. Because be November 1, you'll be yes. looking out for that. <laughs> Because it's great. What do you do with Write a Book with Al? Al? Oh, I just, oh, so Write a Book with Al is just a, kind of a motivational thing. It's as actually as a motivational thing for me as much as it is for anyone else. Um, it's an accountability thing. So I post my word count every day, even if it's zero, just so that everyone can see the process of how a book might come together. Mm. Um, so I did this for the my most recent manuscript. Um, and it took me, I think that one took me about eight weeks to get the 50,000. So this is something I need to point out. I have never won NaNoWriMo and I probably have no intention of ever winning NaNoWriMo, Mm. but what I use it for is accountability and just that sort of motivational push. And my theory is that any word that you have on November 30 that you did not have on November 1 is a win as far as I'm concerned. So even if you finish up with 5,000 words or 10,000 words or whatever you end up with, um, it's probably enough to give your work in progress a major shove of some kind. And that's why I do encourage people to get involved. And that's why I do it. Um, As I say, I've never won. I I went really close one year. I think I got about 48,000 words. No one could actually believe that I hadn't sat there all night just to... But it's just not, it's not how I operate. It wasn't, it's not, it's not really the point for me. It's not that. It's just to end that month with as much of a first draft as I can possibly manage. Because November, you know, in the United States where this began, November is, you know, the start of winter and everything's sort of closing down and it's a bit quieter. But in Australia in November, it is utter chaos because we have all the end of school stuff and, you know, everything going on. So, 50,000 doesn't seem achievable to me at that point, but we'll see how we go. Yeah. Okay. Very exciting. So this let's week. Let's move on. Given yes. That let's, only September. Let, <laughs> well, you've got to plan ahead. Got to plan ahead. Right. So let's give a shout out to BKH from Australia, who has left us a review on iTunes. Now, BKH has uh, said um, the podcast to listen to. And they've said, this is the podcast I needed. I've been floundering for years in writing my first novel. A month ago, I discovered the delightful Val and the sassy owl. And things have gone from strength. (laughs) You'll get to be sassy. Mm -hmm. And things have gone from strength to strength. 5,000 words down, they're mostly rubbish, but a first draft isn't a Hemingway masterpiece, I learned, and I'm on my way. Thank you so much. Keep the good times rolling. Wow. BKH. Yes, well done, BKH. I hope you're you're continuing to, um, you know, what's the word I want here? Crash through? Mm, Push through? Push through, that's it. Thank you. I'm such a wordsmith. Aren't I? Yes, definitely. I'm just all over it. <laughs> so well done, BKH. We're so happy to hear that the podcast has been useful. And maybe on November one, you can follow the hashtag Write yeah. a Book with Alan and write even more. Write fifty thousand words, in fact. Join in. Go yes, nuts. join yep. in. Now, shall we move on to the world of writing and publishing this week? We probably should. Yes. So I came across this link, interestingly, from Business Insider, but I thought it was really useful because it's called a veteran magazine editor says this is the most glaring mistake writers make when applying for jobs. 
Uh-huh. So we're talking about writers who are applying for jobs in magazines and publications, right? Mm-hmm. So what do you think, Al, this veteran magazine editor says is the most glaring mistake writers make when applying for jobs? Well, I don't know, Val. There's, you know, several that come to mind, spelling their name wrong. Well, you know, yes, there's one. Uh, not getting the email right, putting yes. not, not checking punk. I mean, you know, I don't know. The list could be endless. You tell me, what does this man say well, is the most glaring mistake? It's only delivering what is asked of you and not mm. going the extra mile. So the example he gives is if he says, oh, can you send me five story ideas, the people who send only five – don't get the job. The people who send, you know, pages and pages and pages of story ideas are more likely to get the job. So it's basically the candidate who goes the extra mile. And I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, I was previously in a position and I know of, um, I was talking to the editor of a major publication who was interviewing for the deputy editor of that publication. Iconic mm-hmm. publication that everyone knows of. But anyway, um, interviewing for the deputy editor, which is a high-up position, obviously. It's second to the editor. And in the interview process, so what they did was they identified some candidates and they talked to this particular candidate who really did have good experience because I knew the candidate as well. I heard both sides of the story. Mm. And um, I thought the candidate was definitely a front writer because of her experience. And... The editor said, asked her for exactly that, five story ideas, mm. right? And it's it was interesting because in the words of the candidate who told me this story later, she said that I didn't feel that for someone with my experience that I needed to be tested. So I declined to give her the story ideas. Oh. Really? Yeah. Unbelievable. I was – my jaw hit the table. Really? Mm. My jaw hit the table. It's like just because you're really experienced, which she was, you yeah. weren't experienced in this magazine. This You hadn't worked at this magazine before, which has possibly a very different tone and style and whatever to all of your other magazines that you've worked for. And she, yeah, refused to come up with – I mean, how hard is it to come up with story ideas, seriously? And she refused to do it. And she, obviously she didn't get the job. Well, just – speaks to attitude, doesn't it? Like, you there's know. There's that too. Because what, what you want is a deputy who can come up with five ideas on the spot. There's that you know, too. In a minute because mm. this one's fallen through. And, and wouldn't think it hard. Yeah. I'm not sure whether she thought it hard or whether she just thought no, it no, was. she was just affronted by the idea that she should have to, which well, again is an attitudinal issue. Here's the weird thing. Because okay. I, you know, did. I know her and spoke to her. She um, she wasn't affronted. She just said it very matter of factly. She wasn't. She didn't. She didn't have an attitude. She just thought. She just thought it was really normal to say no. <laughs> Goodness me! <laughs> like she wasn't up herself. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was really strange. No, no. I yeah, interesting. But see, the, this guy also goes on to say that he once asked a young men's health applicant for his 10 best ideas and mm. he sent me 26 single-spaced pages of them and he got the job. Now, to me, I I would actually prefer somebody's 10 best ideas, mm-hmm. like the, the ones that they really think are the key, to 26 pages of maybes. Do you know what I mean? Like, Well, I, unless they I were 26 really... pages of winners. If, and and if they were, yeah, that's there's fantastic. no way they're going to be 26 pages well, yeah. of minutes, are they? <laughs> Let's be realistic about this. It's an interesting thing, yeah. Mm. Anyway. Anyway, yes. So, so would uh, you have sent 10 
If you were asked for five, would you send ten? Would you if, know to send ten? I mean, you might know that now, but as a new writer, as a new writer, you're not necessarily gonna. You're probably um, gonna send the five that you think are absolute winners off your list of ten, aren't you? I would always try and do something else. I don't know whether I would send an, another five, but I would try and offer something beyond what they've asked for. It may not be just more of what they've asked for. It yeah. may be something else, but I don't know necessarily what. Yeah, because I, I, I remember working as a features editor and, you know, you'd have freelancers send in ideas and they'd send you, like you're there and you're having a busy day, you've got a thousand things on, and they'd send you ten ideas in one email mm. and you'd just be going, oh, this is just too hard because now I've got to decide. Yes. What I actually just really want is one that you think is a winner right now yep. um, that I can go, yes, do that for the next issue. Do you know what I mean? Like Yes. It's, it's a it's a it's an interesting question, I think. I think but, it depends know. on the volume as well, because mm. like a friend of mine who's a freelancer was writing for a particular section in the Australian at the time mm. and she did send, you know, one idea, then one idea, and then she because it was a very frequent section, she then would send ten ideas and the editor oh, would yeah. just go, Yep, yeah, this week, next week, next week, next week, next yeah, week and I, just I schedule it. Once you build a relationship with an editor, definitely. Like I'd send in three or four at once at least. But you know, initially it's just overwhelming when you just get that list and you go, no, too hard. I can't even think about this. Yes. Oh, yeah. If it was a brand Mm. new person to you, you wouldn't Mm. want to be reading 10. No. Mm. Mm. All right. Well, let's move on to the next link, which is five common plotting mistakes to avoid when you're writing a novel. And this is from The Right Life. And there's a bunch of different um, plots Uh, tips ranging from your idea is more of a premise than a plot Mm -hmm. and also there's no reason to act like there's actually why are you what you know are you giving your protagonist or whoever whichever character a reason to actually a reason to actually do something or are they Mm -hmm. just doing it for no particular reason I think that you and I both read manuscripts where um the writing is beautiful and and there's a good idea, like there's, mm-hmm. it's more than a premise than a plot, mm. but there's no actual plot. I think the, one of the most common plotting mistakes is that there's no proper plot or no compelling plot. What do you think? I think that this uh, question, the one that you mentioned before, no reason to act, brings in I think one of the most important aspects of plotting and that is the stakes. Mm. And I think that you will find that any editor or publisher when they go to writers' conferences and things like that will will bring this up. The question has to be, you know, are the stakes high enough? And I think as a new author, you can make the mistake of thinking that high stakes have to mean high action. You know, it has to be we're fighting for the end of the world or something yep, like that. Yep. Um, but in actual fact, it just has to be something that matters incredibly deeply to your character because, of course, a plot is essentially determined by your character making decisions along yep. the way. This happens. What does your character do? They do this, therefore that happens. And then what does your character do? They do this and therefore this happens. Um, so that's kind of where our plot unfolds. It all comes down to why does your char- you know, your, to your character making decisions along the way. But what you have to ask yourself is why is your character making those decisions? What is at stake for your character that is actually going to drive a story forward? Mm. And if you don't have that... Um, 
your story just kind of meanders along and it's really nice and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, I was talking to somebody recently about a manuscript and they, was, they were sort of telling me about it and they were saying, oh, this happens and that happens and, and then, you know, and then my character does this. And it was just like all I said to her was why? Yeah. Like why? Why would you do that? What makes you – why would you do that? Why would you not just do X? Why – and it's like, well, I need her to go to New York. Well, no, that's actually not enough of a reason because it made no sense um, yeah. from what she told me about the character for the character to actually do that. Yeah. So there has to be a really compelling reason, something really serious at stake for your character to actually want to um, to make that decision basically. It's really yeah. important for plotting, yeah. Write it down. What are the stakes? Make yeah. sure and make sure what that does my you can ident- want? identify it. Yeah. yeah. What does my this character is, want? This is what I talk about when I go to schools and I talk to kids. I'm like, your character has to want something. There has to be a goal and then the story comes from them, you know, things that get in the way of your character reaching their goal. Yeah. But your character has to want something and if they don't, if there's no major compelling drive for them, then you don't really have a story. Yeah. Absolutely. You don't have a plot. All right. Let's move on to something that's kind of cute. I stumbled across the fact that uh, now I need to go to um, oh, Italy. <laughs> right. Okay. What's your motivation for that? What are the stakes, Valerie? <laughs> because there's a moleskin cafe there. Okay. I'm not thinking this is probably high enough stakes, but Right. <laughs> Talk me through it. What are we going to do at the Moleskine Cafe? It's in Milan, so I need to make a trek to Milan. How cool would this be? It's a Moleskine Cafe. It looks amazing. So are you – you're a notebook person, a blank notebook person? Oh, yes. Yeah. I I just cleaned out my office and found five boxes of – of blank notebooks. Blank no- I know. And there I've been w- banned from buying any more. Yes, yes. There was a period, I've tried to wean myself off, but there was a period where I could could not I, I could not leave the house and return home without a notebook. I know. Even if it was from the two dollar shop. Yes. Or from Woolworths. Um, and sometimes from more expensive places. And so um, this is the Moleskin Cafe. And basically it's a cafe, an art gallery, a store and a library. And not only that, it has a year-round program of talks and breakfast learning sessions and exhibitions. How cool is that in Milan? So you get to have all this amazing coffee and shop for all of your moleskin notebooks and just be surrounded by all this blank paper. Oh, listen to you. (laughs) Did you hear that, people? Did you hear that? I'm a bit worried, Val. How cool. Well, anyway. We'll I don't put... know that I've got to go all the way to Milan for that, though. I mean, yeah, unless I'm not? getting a free notebook with every coffee. Oh, I think you need to go to Milan for that. Like, okay, I tell seriously. You, you go to Milan. Well, okay, in my story, <laughs> the stakes would not be high enough to put me on the plane to head off there. <laughs> but clearly for you, they are. So. All right. So that's just a fun thing I wanted to share with everyone. Mm. But another thing I wanted to talk about, because this came up um, – in something that I read this week and it is also I guess it's a little bit of a writing tip as well but I thought we'd discuss it now mm-hmm. and it it's also a question that uh, people ask me regularly mm-hmm. so I thought we would have a chat about it and the question is 
What if my client wants me to deliver more than we agreed upon? So this is particularly relevant for copywriters or people say who write web content or brochures or, you know, where you basically have a client who is typically a business and they're wanting you to write X and X may have been five web pages. Uh, But now they say, oh, but can you write the footer or can you write the navigation menus? Oh, can you write the terms and conditions or whatever? Mm -hmm. Or they've said, we want you to write a 20,000 word annual report, but it ends up being 35,000 words. So what happens, can that happen? It's not that they're being mean or trying to be deceitful at the start. It's just that projects grow. Just yep. It just happens to grow over time through no one's fault. So what is your suggestion if that happens? What if my client wants me to deliver more than we agreed upon in the original discussion? Okay, so I think the first thing is to be very, very clear in the original discussion about what you're actually doing. Yes. Um, And so what I would do, you know, if it was an annual report at 20,000 words or whatever, um, I put in writing in Mm. email form, um, I will write 20,000 words. This will include one set of edits, the, uh, you know, the at at approximate, you know, whatever. Do you either set the project fee or you set the hourly rate or whatever Mm. it is that you're going to do? Make it really clear. If it comes back and they start adding and adding and adding to it, you have to say to them, you can't just lob an invoice on them for 35,000 words. No. Um, you have to actually have the conversation. Once you can see that it's starting to build, you need to say, look, this is going beyond the parameters of our original agreement. If you want me to add these things in, I'm going to need to charge you at an hourly rate. It will be this mm. and it will include Or a word X, rate. Or a word rate or a project you know a set fee Mm, for that mm. much or whatever it's going to be but again you need to have the conversation and you need to put it in writing and I think it's the same whether it's um extra pages or whatever if they come back if you've written your five pages and they say I want you to write a footer and a blah blah you say yes I'm more than willing to do that I envisage that will take me an extra two hours and the cost will be x yeah Exactly. So the key words there are say to them these are beyond the parameters or beyond the scope of mm-hmm. the original project yep. and and quote for, you know, what the rest is. But the key is to nip it in the bud. As soon yep. as you start seeing it to grow, start seeing that it's growing, have the conversation then because I do know one freelancer who that that's what happened to her and she um she, you know, moaned and groaned that mm-hmm. it was going to take all of this extra stuff. I mean, moaned and groaned to her friends, but mm-hmm. didn't moan and groan to the client. Yeah. And and just surprise them with a massive invoice at the end Mm. and the thing is that they're probably actually not um it's not that they don't want to pay that invoice it's just that you need to set their expectations so you need to nip it in the bud as soon as you see it growing don't just surprise them with an invoice that's just bad management on your part for and bad communication on your part for not telling them once you started to see it grow yeah Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. I think we've got that sorted. That yes. So our uh, um, giveaway this week. Oh. Yes. Is rebellious daughters. Now that was also a giveaway last week. It's a two week giveaway, and. There's a book called Rebellious Daughters, True Stories from Australia's Finest Female Writers. And it's been edited by Maria Katsonis and Lee Kaufman, but features stories from people like Jane Caro and Jamila Rizvi and Leah Kaminsky, Susan Windham. And it's a great compilation and anthology of these true stories from Australia's female writers. Now, entries close for this competition on Monday, the 12th of September. And if you'd like to enter and your chance to win a copy, is at writerscentre.com.au 
slash win. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our Stage 2 Creative Writing course, Advanced Fiction Writing Techniques, will help you apply proven methods to your own writing, taking your storytelling to a whole new level. With workshopping and practical exercises focusing on scene development, characters, climax and resolution, it's your perfect next step. Learn online over a few hours each week. You'll even get your own tutor providing personal feedback on your writing. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash advanced. So, Al, do you want to know the word of the week? Yes, of course, Valerie. I can't <laughs> wait. I'm beside myself. <laughs> One day you're going to mean it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm here yeah, now. <laughs> oh, I'm joking. I'm joking. Of course I'm joking. All right. I love it. Do you know this word or have you used this word? Antediluvian. I now do that's, know it. And you I do? It. I do. I don't use it all the time but I really like it. I think it's a lovely word. Yeah, it's 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 great. So anti as in A-N-T-E, not A-N-T-I, A-N-T-E, and diluvian, D-I-L-U-V-I-A-N, antediluvian. Do you know what it means? I do, but you, you why don't you tell us, Val, because I know you're desperate to tell us. Please do. I think it's such a cute word. Yeah. And it means in the period before the flood. As in the one Noah was in, you know, Noah's flood, <laughs> where he had his ark. Yeah. So it basically it means that it's referring to something that is antiquated or old-fashioned or outdated. So you might say her grandfather's antediluvian opinions on immigration caused conflict among his more progressive and tolerant children, for example. <laughs> Example, and it comes from the fact that, like, the comes from ante is um, it means before. Like, you often refer to an ante room, you know, mm-hmm. and it's the, the the room that you enter before you go into the much larger, say, ballroom or whatever. Yes, and um, diluvian, uh, there that has something to do with water. <laughs> I, I'm waiting for that. <laughs> just had a sudden like, yep, 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 (laughs) It does have something to do with water because I remember when we were little we learnt about alluvial plains. Yes. Out past the um, Blue Mountains. Yes. There are alluvial plains there and that's because they can flood. Mm. Okay. (laughs) There you go. That went really well, Val. I really feel that went well. Antediluvian. You knocked it out of the park with it. If you're using that as your word of the week, we'd love to hear about it. Do we let us love know to hear about it. if you put it in a blog post or something. Yes. All right, let's move on. Are we ready for our writer in residence this week? I couldn't be more ready. You couldn't be more ready? I could not be more ready. All right, so this is um, Nathan Besser. Now, Nathan Besser is actually a debut novelist and he has written the novel Man in the Corner and it has become so um, successful that Simon Baker and his wife Rebecca Rigg have um, bought the rights to it and are going to turn it into a 
you know, I'm not sure whether it's a movie or a television show. Hmm. And um, don't tell Kerry Sackville; she'll be excited. Yes, I Waving know. To Sackville. Yes, Simon Baker. Hmm. Uh, and um, it's interesting because Nathan Nathan's journey was that he was very interested in writing you know, from a long time ago, but then gave up because he was disillusioned. But obviously somehow rediscovered it. We'll we'll figure out we'll 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 listen to his story mm-hmm. and now has great success because he's a very good writer. It is um extremely well written. You totally believe that you're there when you're in the when you're reading these scenes. It's it's mainly set in Sydney. And um but yeah, let's have a listen to what Nathan has to say. Thanks so much for joining us today, Nathan. Uh, My pleasure. Nice to be with you. Now, you've written your debut novel, Man in the Corner. For those readers who haven't read the book yet, can you tell us what it's about? Uh, Well, yes, I can. Um, Essentially, uh, it's a modern novel. It's uh, set in Maroubra in Sydney. Um, And... What it essentially deals with is a a man uh, living, he's married with two children, and I would say through a a few turns of circumstance, he he finds himself um, in a very different position than he could have imagined. Um, After a few months, he has uh, some medical issues and a few revelations in his life that he wasn't anticipating. and yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's a difficult thing for a writer to pigeonhole or describe their own work exactly <laughs> as, a, as as a reader might uh, like them to. But uh, yeah, that's the premise. I would say. Okay, so how did the idea for the book form? When did you start thinking I might write this story about this guy in Maroubra and so on? Um, well. As with these things, it's very difficult to uh, to pinpoint an exact moment. Sure. Um, and often, I think for writers, your initial uh, point at which a start a story begins isn't always where it ends up beginning once you uh, finish writing it. But um, I I took a a long time off writing um, and. At some point when I decided to begin writing again, this particular character's moment um, of recovering from an illness um, was the point of departure for me for the story. So that that was for me the moment, I, I guess you'd call it some sort of uh, moment of inspiration or... Mm. or departure for the narrative. Had the character been swirling around in your brain for some time? Because he is a man who lives in Maroubra, has a couple of kids, he's married. Um, Had that idea or had the medical issue been swirling around in your brain for some time? Um, No, in a word. Uh, I don't think that... For me, I think... Beginning something is a very exciting time in the writing process, and I wouldn't say that any any particular part of the story or what it ended what ended up forming the novel was present before it happened. It just sort of came as it went. I would say. Wow. 
Um, I don't. I don't think that. I mean, certainly, once you start working on something, the the character and his surroundings, or her surroundings, uh, become very much a part of your own world and your own internal world. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think that I had a particular character or setting in mind until such time as I started it. Now, let's just backtrack a bit because I you mentioned that you took some time off writing and you did a lot of writing when you were younger. What I find fascinating is then you worked in a whole series of different jobs and also ran different businesses. And according to your bio, you worked as a delivery driver, a security guard, a clinical trial participant, a hotel manager, a call center operator, but you've also bought and sold several small businesses businesses, including a restaurant delivery company, an online alcohol delivery company, a cold chain logistics service, and two lingerie stores. So you're a very busy man. Now, did you write some of this book while you were running some of these businesses? Yeah. So um, I a lot of those odd jobs listed there, um, I was doing uh, uh, – you know, in my twenties, um, while I was, it was a way of supplementing my writing. Um, and so, yeah. And, and I was very into writing. And then when I, um, got married and had kids, I took several years off writing. Um, I focused on business and that's when all those sort of, uh, businesses that you just listed came and went. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are still going and, and yeah, and I've been operating businesses while I wrote uh, Man in the Corner. Um, and yeah, it's obviously a very busy, it's, it's a very busy thing to do to run a business. But uh, as, as most writers will know, it's, it's not an enormous money spinner. So you need to make ends meet. So I'm interested to know why you took the time away from writing. Well, it was, it was, I would say, two things. One was um, I became disheartened with the uh, failure of the first novel that I wrote. So about, I would say, 10 years ago, something like that, um, I wrote a novel and I couldn't get it published. This was after writing a lot of short fiction and poetry and I got some of that published and I put a lot of time into writing a novel and I couldn't find a publisher for it. Um, and right at the time that I found that out, I um, was about to have my first child and I sort of thought to myself, well, this certainly isn't making me any money um, and it doesn't seem to be going anywhere in general. Now, whilst I still want to keep on doing it, I, I, I couldn't really justify it to myself. So I thought, I thought uh, and I was working as a delivery driver and uh, and an opportunity arose to... Um, get into the business so I, I took that and I pretty much just pushed my aspirations to be a writer as far away as possible. Wow so did you actually think okay I'm taking a break as in it's temporary or did you think that's it I'm done? Um, I would say I, I said I said to myself I'm done that's it. Really? Yeah. Wow. I, I, I really pushed it away I didn't I, I, I tried not to read anything. Oh. I, I, uh, I I just I tried. I was pretty pretty extreme, I guess. Yeah. Um, I just completely shut it off. 
Wow. Okay. So then obviously the itch came back. What businesses were you operating at the time when you decided, oh, you know what, I'm going to start writing again and tell us about what made you decide to start writing again? Well, uh, at the time I was uh, running a, a restaurant delivery company. Um, I'd done yeah, I'd done another business in that time as well. Um, I, what happened was I, I, I was missing not reading really. Uh, I, I would, cause you know, I would, uh, I would look at books I want to read. You know, you, you hold a book in your hand with a nice cover or an author that you like. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, what I was doing in that time was just, you know, I'd look at the book and then I'd say, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not doing that anymore. And I'd, I'd put it down. And eventually I, I went on a holiday, I uh, went to Japan for a week uh, with a friend of mine and uh, I thought, well, I'm, I can't go away without a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started reading and what I read wasn't particularly for me, you know, formative or it wasn't some incredible piece of literature that, that changed my life, but just the act of reading just uh, made me incredibly curious to start writing again. I'd probably been about four years that I hadn't done it. Wow. And, uh, and that was, yeah, I remember sitting in a small laundromat in Tokyo waiting for my washing to be finished <laughs> and, um, and thinking, oh, I've got to, I've got to start writing again. So, and that was kind of the beginning, I guess. And so, did you actually, when you were reading those books while you were on holiday, did you think I could write better than that? <laughs> um, I, I definitely didn't think I could write better than that. Uh-huh. Um, but it, it's just, it, it's kind of they, they go reading and writing go hand in hand to me. So, um, any time I read anything, I, I, I think about. You know, obviously, I get absorbed by a story as well, but I often think about the craft and yep. and what's gone into it and how it's done. Um, I don't really have any formal training in it, so sure. I'm, I'm probably not a not a. I don't read as maybe I should, but uh, yeah. So it just it just went hand in hand. So reading it made me think about writing and. And then I started writing. So when you were sitting at laundromat and you thought, okay, I'm going to start writing again, what did you do to start writing again? Did, because I assume this, the, the premise for this novel didn't hit you in the laundromat. Like did you just start writing other things? or? What? Yeah, I started writing other things. Um, I had an iPad with me and so uh, I just used that to start jotting I guess ideas, so I guess you'd call it like a diary, um, and then it, yeah, and and then from there it began the began the novel, um, and I, I I certainly I would never have been able to, and I guess it goes back to an earlier question which you asked was it swirling around I probably wouldn't have permitted myself to. Um, start a novel at that stage because of the previous years anyway. So, um, and in a sense, maybe that made it easier because I didn't have any pressure on myself to actually make it a complete piece of work. So, mm. so can you give me some timelines in that approximately when was the Japan holiday and then approximately how long did you just write random thoughts before you then started the novel? Uh, I, started the, I started what would become the novel pretty soon after mm-hmm. that, it would have been 
you know, a few weeks or a month after right. that, um, you know, started started getting the urge, uh, I guess, as a writer. A lot of writers, you know, you have the urge to sit down and, and do it. So once I'd begun satisfying that urge, it became a daily one. So, And how yeah. frequently did you then write, like, every day? Did you have a word count? target or um look it's always nice to to write to your to what to a target to meet your kpis as they (laughs) say in the business world but um and obviously being very busy with children and 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 a business um i couldn't do it as much as i would like i you know in an ideal world i would work every day um but so yeah I i guess i was working four or five mornings a week, something like that, sometimes three mornings a week, sometimes no mornings for a couple of weeks and then I just I do as much as I can. And how long till you had your first draft? Uh, I would say a first draft probably about 18 months or okay. 12 months, something like that, and then re- started reworking it. So take me through while you were actually writing the book, your first the first draft. Take me through a typical day because you're a bit different to a full time writer in that you're running a business and all of that sort of stuff as well. So, what kind of routine did you get into so that you were actually able to get it out? Um. Well. Instead of the good, a bad thing about running a business and being a writer is that running a business takes up headspace. It's yeah. a lot better in some senses just have a job where when you leave at 5 p.m. you don't think about it. Yeah. The good thing about running a business is you can, you're your own boss, so you can turn up when you want. So I, instead of turning up to work at half past eight or nine, I would turn up to work at half past 10 or 11. And so I would I'd get up and go sit in the garage and, and work from from the morning till half past ten or eleven, mm-hmm. and then I'd go to work. So, just a few hours in the morning, essentially, would be my solid work time. And then, obviously, you steal time yep. when you can as well. You know, it might be in the evening or in the afternoon, or if you've got a few days off or the weekend. But that would be more my solid time, and still is. So you sat in the garage. I sat in the garage, yeah, yeah, with your well, laptop. Yeah, with with my with my laptop. Yeah, uh, I didn't I didn't record everything to memory. <laughs> um, yeah, I've got kids, so it's the the house wasn't a particularly peaceful, sure, or or appropriate place to work. I think um, John. Not, was it John Cheever or Raymond Carver? One of those guys used to work in their car with the with with the the notebook on the dashboard <laughs> so to get away from the family. So you just work wherever you can. Yeah. So when did you know you wanted to be a writer? Um, I, I was pretty interested in it from, I, I would say, my late teens, maybe seven, 16, 17, something like that. I was interested in, in pursuing it. And so this book is there's a bit of crime, it's a bit of a psychological thriller. It's um it, it's 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 been described on the cover by none other than Simon Baker, a brilliant modern noir, an intriguing thought experiment and addictive read. So did you it, it's quite um 
uh, oh, it's it's a brilliant book and it's quite complex in a sense. What did you plot this out in your brain before you started writing a, a critical mass, or did you sort of discover what happened as you went along? I think the latter. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, I think uh, I think uh, was it Murakami? I think who I once read. He said something like, because you know he writes uh, quite. I don't know if you call them complex or insane or or, 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 or um, books where where the plot goes in all sorts of directions and and can lead back in. Uh, it's almost like a maze. Um, and he said, well, if I knew what I was going to write, it wouldn't be very interesting writing it, would it? So um, you, you kind of write to discover what's going to happen yourself. So, Wow. Um, yeah. Did you um, have to do much research for this book? Um, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I had, to, I had to do much, but obviously yeah, there's the settings in it mm. that, um, that – I researched, drove around, took some photos, and and thought about. Mm. Um, but uh, it's not a; it doesn't require much research. The sense of place is very obvious in this book because when you are reading about particular areas in Maribor or particularly particular areas in Piemont, you really feel like you're there and you really feel like, you know, what's going on is is very, very real. Um, you have a, a great way of describing that sense of place. How did you develop that? Um, well, I guess there was, like you said before, there was there was some research that went into it, mm-hmm. um, and otherwise, I think just through drafts, you know, um, I can't remember the other writer I'm thinking of who said uh, the maybe it was Hemingway. I don't know, it was someone famous that the, the most important thing that a writer can have is a bullshit detector. So, mm-hmm. um, and. I've certainly written a lot of bullshit, so if, <laughs> if uh, I guess it's important to read over and and be ruthless with yourself as to when something feels, if that's the if that if you want to get across a place that's a real place, mm. like Piemont or Maruba, you have to try and um, really make it like those places. Mm. So yeah, I hope that I hope that is the case. Mm. And so, tell me about. You, because you were disillusioned previously. Um, when you were writing this book, did you feel this one's going to make it? Or uh, No, no, uh, I don't think I did. Um, but you always hope. You've, you've got to have some degree of hope and mm. um, self-belief to continue. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I actually remember the night. It was a night. I'd been working at night. I was on a holiday again. Um, so I guess <laughs> saying this, I'm realizing that holidays are pretty important to me yes. as a writer because I actually get some time to really think about it. Um, and I'd been working, it was quite late, and I went for a swim and I thought, God, I'm putting an enormous amount of work into this novel and I, I really don't want what happened with the last one to happen with this where it's just going to go nowhere. And I thought, and I and I thought to myself, well, well, what if that happens? And 
I, I sort of committed to myself, well, if that's what happens, that's what happens, but I'm still going to do it. So, mm. um, yeah. So then tell us about your break. How did you then get it published? Um, well, uh, I went through, I guess, what you'd call the regular channels. I contacted agents and 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 they, you know, negotiated with publishers. I mean, a, a standard kind of uh, process, which is um, I, I imagine some people that would be listening to this would, that would be a, I mean, I used to do a lot of research and think a lot about it um, in the past. Okay, who's going to be the agent? Who's going to be the publisher? These sort of things. Will it ever happen? How do I do it? What's the best way to go about it? Um, but I, yeah, it, it's it's just a matter of focusing on the work, I think, and then and then hopefully, if you're lucky, you'll you'll find an agent who's willing to represent you, and then you'll find a publisher who wants. So, to did you find an agent? Yes. Okay, and they then shopped it to various publishers. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's right. Yeah. And um, I understand that. Well, not only has it been published, obviously, but um, Simon Baker and Rebecca Rigg have snapped up the film rights mm. after only reading the first draft. Mm. What did you think, firstly? when your agent told you that someone wanted to publish it and secondly when you heard that uh, the film rights had been optioned um well it's good news i was very happy <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> uh, i was i was i was yeah a little bit disbelieving and and, and very happy um yeah i, I guess uh you know i've had a lot of rejections for my writing over the years and um and that's kind of becomes what you get used to so it's, it's a, always a little bit weird if if it's not that um so yeah it's definitely they were good days yeah fantastic did you ever anticipate it would have film interest well that that aspect wasn't um that wasn't through my agent that was actually through um yeah so it, it was just i my wife worked with uh rebecca's mother many many years ago and they were friends and and uh the manuscript was passed to them because uh this lady mary was a av avid reader and i trusted her judgment i knew her mm. and so i asked her to read it as a friend actually just for some feedback mm. um and not thinking anything of it and she really liked it and recommended it to rebecca and simon and they they read it and and thought it would make a good film so um that was i guess a bit of luck as well Fantastic. Uh -huh. and now, you have a very, very strong voice. And also, because you've got, you know, quite... Do you mean how I'm talking now? Or? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean in the book. Um, your actual voice is perfectly fine. But in the book, it's a very strong voice and it is certainly one that you don't think, oh, my God, it's, it's this guy's debut novel. It's like you've been writing for a long time. Um, there's a couple of main characters in it and you've had to get into the heads of those main characters and without giving anything away, you've had to write 
in their voice very much uh, from their point of view, I mean. Um, what did you do to get to know your characters so well? Did you just think about them or did you create files on them or imagine their whole backstory or how did you get to know your characters? Uh, I think you definitely need to know who they are. You need to know what their backstory is to some degree. Um, I think different, different writers do it different ways. Uh, I'm certain that some writers know, don't know who their characters father is or mother is or what you know what they weighed when they were a baby and mm. and brothers and sisters some characters act as vessels I think for ideas or a narrative that you want to explore and then some characters it's very much about who they are and and not so much the decisions they make but uh, the way they deal with what's given to them um, and and I think in those sorts of situations, um, when you're really inside the mind of someone else, maybe it is more important to know a lot about them. Um, so I think it depends on the character and, and the story that you're trying to tell. Mm. Uh, but it's certainly it's impossible to to write about someone and not know a little bit about them and, and, and if you're not curious about them, then you're probably not going to be able to write particularly well about them, I think. Sure. But did you actually document all of that so that you didn't forget or did you, uh, you know? I, I, look, I, uh, I'm, I make continuity mistakes all the time where I uh, get things wrong and I'll say one thing about them and, you know, then their middle name changes and that does happen to me. Um but you, you obviously pick it up or your editor picks it up or a friend picks it up. Um, again, I, I think for me I would get bored if I knew everything about the person from, right. from the beginning. Uh, what would be the point in sort of writing about it? Mm. So this is your debut novel. Well, you're, well, you wrote a novel before, but this is yeah. your first published novel. Um, <laughs> what... Uh, uh, after your first draft and you sent it to the publisher, what to what extent were there edits and structural well, edits? I, mean, I, would, I wouldn't say that I wouldn't say it was a first draft because mm-hmm. um, uh, I'd, I'd done substantial redraftings of right. it myself. So I think first-time writers who are looking to find a home for their book don't have the luxury that uh, established writers do where they can seek the opinion of an editor early on after they've completed one or two drafts. Yeah. Um, I think it's important to really go through the book. I would have, you know, redrafted it four or five times right. from beginning to end, different tenses, different voices, different wow. um, points of view. And, um, yeah, so and, – and so in, in that sense, by the time – um, you know, there was a lot of important stuff that the publisher provided to publish it, but uh, I would say that the, the the core of the book was was pretty established. Yeah. So now that you can look back on the because you've had success with this novel, now you can look back on the previous novel which did not get um, published. Do you feel that you want to try again with that novel or is that novel done and dusted? 
Um, at this stage, it's done and dusted. There might be something that I read over at some point and and think, oh, well, there's an idea that I'm still interested in. Uh, you know, you're always writing about what interests you at the time that you're writing. Otherwise, you wouldn't be writing it. So, um, if if parts of that you know hold my interest again, then maybe I would at this stage. My, I don't think that it holds interest to me. So what's next for you? What are you working on now? I'm working on another novel. Mm-hmm. Um, so a different, different characters, different. Yeah, completely different book. Mm-hmm. Um, How would you and, describe it? Well, it's uh, it's set um, some time ago, so this one requires a bit more research. Um, but I wouldn't describe it really because he shouldn't. I, I, uh, I, I'm still discovering it myself, so sure. I don't so, know if I can if I can tell you much about it. Are you are you still juggling your business and you know the restaurant delivery company? Yeah, I, I've got I've got I don't have a restaurant delivery company anymore. I've mm-hmm. I, I've got a couple of other businesses that I'm running mm-hmm. uh, together with a business partner. So yeah, I am I'm actually sitting uh, sitting amongst the. A few pallets of uh, alcoholic cider <laughs> now, so uh, I'm definitely still juggling. Um, and but I'll I'll do it the same way I did previously, which is I'll get up early and work in the mornings and in the garage. Pets. Yeah, well, I don't have a garage anymore, so um, I've I've sent the baby off to it to sleep with his brother. So I've taken the baby's room for the moment. Uh, okay, so you that's so you're even busier because now you've got a couple of businesses that you're running, as well as writing your next book. So, what's finally then? What's your advice for aspiring writers who may be feeling like you did, for you you know like before when you decided, oh my god, I'm going to give up. What's your advice to them? Well, I did give up, um, <laughs> mm. um, and I ended up going back to it. Um, I think ultimately it's, it's, uh, something very personal. And if you're writing to become famous or, or to see your name in print in a bookshop and, and you have some sort of fantasy around that, I don't believe that can withstand the test of time and the grueling nature of the occupation. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you, if you have a genuine love for literature and for, and for reading and writing, then you will end up back at the desk and that's really all you need. And, but certainly resilience and, and having some degree of faith in yourself and the, and, and the work that you're producing. Um, and to continue doing that, uh, but it is it is very hard. I mean, I'm uh, yeah. I started trying to get published when I was seventeen, so uh, in different formats, and I'm now thirty five. So that's how many years? Eighteen years. So, so if, you, if you're starting at thirty, then you know something should start happening by fifty. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the reality. So. Sure. Yeah. And uh, but also, not everyone necessarily is quite as busy as you. Yeah, th- th- that's right. But I, I think, I think, um, yeah, and and that can either help or hinder. Uh, yeah, some, that's right. It might people. actually compel you to carve out the time. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to. I think 
how much you can produce is limited anyway. I think John Updike was a very prolific writer. He he worked three to four hours a day. Um, he didn't write nine, ten hours a day. And, and most people, you can't sit at a desk for 15 hours a day for 30 years. Just, that's just not how the work goes. So um, I, I don't think having a job or doing other things means you can't do it. It would be nice to just write. I would love it because I would, I would basically just read more or watch movies and other things that I think are important to do. Um, but, yeah, I don't know if it would make it work any better. So with your book, the pacing is very important because as the, the reader needs to see things unfold, the reader does see things unfold uh, at a certain pace and is constantly kept wondering oh, my God, where does this lead? Oh, my goodness, where does this lead? Um, what's going to happen next? Is pacing something that just came to you naturally or did you have to go back and make sure that it was unfolding in the right way? Uh, I think that is something that I realised was going to become a part of the book uh, as the plot started to develop and I started to realise that there was stuff going on that, was outside the control of the of, of the characters and and or some characters but not others and 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 once I started realizing that and I real I, I realized that I, I did need to pace um, how how it came about mm. um, so yeah in drafting that um, you know the book how it begins was not how it originally begun so I, mm. I moved I moved things around and and hopefully found found a way so that it does leave you wanting to continue reading because that's a joy of reading is not knowing what's going on and yes. wanting to to continue I, I think some you know some people might might scoff at um, genre fiction or things but you know if if a book won't hold you i think that that's a great achievement so i definitely tried to um get that across in the different drafts and end up with something that, that does that so there is a mystery that lies at the heart of this and that's what why the reader is kept wondering now of course with a mystery you don't want the reader to guess early or at any point really mm. you want mm. them to discover it at the end did you have to go and sort of take out clues or anything like that 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 would potentially make the reader go oh yeah it's going to be that yes um, How, that's interesting. yeah well yeah i mean it, it, once once in its current format um it was finished and I was happy with the, I, I, I guess, the arc of the story um, in rereading it um, and going back over it. And this is something that the, the, the publisher was fantastic at, was really looking at the continuity of it and, and asking if does it make sense for this person to do that? Does it make sense for the reader to know this at this stage? Is this a slam dunk for this question? Shouldn't we leave it a bit more ambiguous? Um, really. Brilliant. Okay, well, wonderful. Great book and um, best of luck with it, but I certainly enjoyed reading it. Um, and thank you so much for your time today, Nathan. Yeah, thanks for chatting with me. Okay, there you go, Nathan Besser. It's a really inter interesting um, story, I think, because it is, and particularly today, because I've been marking uh, assignments for my writer's centre 
freelance course. Mm-hmm. And I know that, you know, free, obviously freelance articles are slightly different to, to writing a novel, but the concept of rejection is the same. And people were saying, how, how do you build that thick skin that you need to persist through rejection? And I think that the thing that keeps you going and the thing I think that really um, helps you to stand out and become, uh, you know, a published author or a professional freelancer is that drive, that kind of overwhelming love of doing it. And I think that if you really love doing it and it's something that you enjoy, even if you do have those moments where you think, I'm never doing this again, there's no way I could ever go through this again, there's some kind of internal drive that gets you back at your computer at some stage and that's obviously what's happened with Nathan because I think that it's, um, I mean, because, you know, we've all been there. I've I've had rejection after rejection. I've written three full manuscripts that have gone nowhere, Mm. you know, and I think that... Um, I've learned a lot from that process because I've learned that the first thing I wrote that I thought was amazing was actually not as amazing as it could have been. Um, It took me four full manuscripts to really find my place. And I think that that's the thing that that people need to bear in mind. I think they think that if they write their first manuscript and it doesn't go anywhere that it's all over. But um, it really is a it's a craft thing, and I think that the mm. that when you're writing the story that you're probably meant to be story, to be writing, um, that's when you that's when you really start to find your feet. That's when you start to find the story beats without having to think too much about them and all of that sort of thing. So, mm. I guess you know we take from Nathan's story the same thing that you and I bang on about constantly, <laughs> which is don't give up. Yeah, don't give up. Don't give up. Yeah. It might take a little bit longer than you want because you're impatient, but uh, don't give up. Well, it took me 10 years longer than I wanted. <laughs> you know, and, and, I, and I know a lot of authors who are in that boat, particularly when you're writing fiction, it's not necessarily going to happen with your first manuscript. If it does, I say, you know, good on you. My, I mean, my first manuscript was picked up and then given back to me. <laughs> so... If that if that's not painful, I don't know what is, and I'm still here. So I'm just saying, don't give up. Yep, don't give up. Do you want to expand on that? What do you mean by picked up and given back to me? Oh, do we, you want me to relive my moment? No, of glory? okay, we won't. Re, we won't. So <laughs> let's do it. Let's talk about it. All right. So the first manuscript, a full length women's fiction manuscript that I ever wrote, was picked up by a publisher. Um, so it was bought by a publisher and they asked for revisions, uh, structural edit, first structural edit that I had ever done. Um, and I did that structural edit uh, five times, maybe six right. times. And I, it was for a lot of reasons. Like there were, there were mitigating factors that don't need to be gone into. But um, it, I just I couldn't produce the manuscript that they wanted, mm. uh, that the publisher wanted, and mm. I couldn't work out why I wasn't producing it mm. um, because I think, you know, I'd also come from a freelance writing background and I was uh, used to working with editors and I was used to giving editors what they wanted. Uh, so I was trying very, very hard to give an editor what they wanted um, without realising that sometimes with a, free, with a fiction edit, you know, you have to give yourself what you want as well. Yeah. Um, so I tied myself up in knots and the story ended up being so far away from where I had originally imagined it. Um, I just, I lost control of the manuscript and because I lost control of the manuscript, um, it just didn't go anywhere. So uh, mm. in the end, they said that, you know, they weren't going to be able to publish that particular manuscript. Uh, so the rights were, you know, I, the rights reverted to me. Mm. And of course, I was devastated. Of course. People. However... 
in the in the interim of that of me writing that that particular manuscript and of all those structural edits and it going backwards and forwards, this was like a year or two two years maybe. This all took. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote another full women's fiction manuscript. And I started writing the Mapmaker Chronicles. Yep. And, and look uh, what's happened there. The exactly. rest is history. So the Mapmaker Chronicles were pick, was picked up at about the same time as the other manuscript was, you know, dropped off a cliff. So that worked out really well for me. <laughs> mm, mm, fantastic. Yep. All right. So let's move on to our platform building tip this week, shall we? What is it? Al? Oh, um, <laughs> sorry, I was. You took me down memory lane into a dark, dark place, Val, and now you want me to come back and talk about platform building. Sorry. Oh, okay. All right. Yes. Okay. So my platform building tip for this week. So one thing I've noticed is um, with the Facebook group that we've put together for graduates of the Build Your Author Platform course, which is of course the on-demand course that I wrote for the Australian Writers Centre, which you know you should go and do it immediately. Clearly, um, one of the things I've noticed is that people are talking in there about the things that the different aspects of platform building that they're trying and the thing that I really like about it is that they're trying different things they're working out what works for them and they're kind of discarding the things that don't so I think what happens sometimes is that people think right I'm going to build a platform so I'll get a website and I'll get on Twitter and they get on Twitter and they don't like it um, because you know it's an acquired taste lots of lots of these platforms are social media platforms are acquired taste so they kind of give it a go it doesn't really work out for them they can't break into the conversation so they give up um, whereas what I'm seeing in the group which I think is a fantastic thing is that they're they're trying different things and they're going well that didn't work for me but I really like Facebook so I've decided that for the time being I'm going to stick to Facebook and I've got my website and I've started a blog um, so I guess the tip is that it's a little bit like you know writing manuscripts you've got to try a few different things some things will work and some things won't but don't give up because you will find something that does work for you yeah for sure absolutely and that's exactly even you know what I've done especially when with new social media platforms I'll dip my toe in the water and I'll try them I go oh my god I love that I'm going to stick with that or gee that's so boring I don't understand it and and I'll give it away it's 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 not like it's hard either you know what I mean that's right and and, and the other thing too is I mean you know sometimes it's not right for you at that particular time but you might find a year down the track that you go back to it like I did with Instagram because I tried it I hated it because I couldn't get my head around what I would photograph and then I got a dog it worked out beautifully for me (laughs) wonderful all right so um uh if For platform building tips like that, uh, make sure you check out Al's course, Build Your Author Platform, and you can find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash platform. All right, so we're almost at the end of this week's episode. Al, what have you got happening in the coming week? Uh, I think I'm editing. I think I'm back into the world of editing. I'm not exactly sure. Um, I'm waiting for some notes, as I said, on a project that I'm working on. Um, so I'll just, uh, yeah, and and I'll just be doing my usual thing. Fantastic. Hmm. What about you? Uh, well, we're in the throes of revamping the website at the Australian Writers' Centre, mm. and so I will be doing quite a lot of web writing. <laughs> Oh, right. Yes, so um, I will be knee-deep in, in, in web copy, I think. Okay. But, yes, anyway, um, where do we find you online, Al? 
you will find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T. And you'll find me on Instagram and Facebook at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val? So you'll find me at, uh, at Valerie Koo for Twitter and Instagram and just search for Valerie Koo on Facebook and uh, yeah, just connect with us there. It'd be really good to hear from you mm. and do let us know what you think about the podcast. So until we chat to you again next week, have a great week. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. <laughs>